Welcome to Madison Labor Radio. Labor Radio is dedicated to bringing news, information, and cultural events focused on working people and the labor movement to the Madison area and surrounding communities. I am Gigi Todd, a member of National Association of Letter Carriers, Branch 507. Your support in any amount helps make Labor Radio and all the great programming on WORT possible. Hi, I'm Mike Bernhard, a retired member of the IBEW and the American Federation of Teachers. This week, hear from nurses rallying for recognition of their union, discuss the agreement between union workers and the Willie Street Co-op, learn more about the union for backstage workers, share the COVID report, and much, much more. If you like what you hear, please consider becoming a sustaining supporter of WORT and Labor Radio. Yesterday, the union bargaining team reached a tentative agreement with Willie Street Co-op management. Labor Radio spoke to some of those workers earlier this week, and they tell us how they got there. Yesterday, the union representing workers at Willie Street Co-op, the United Electrical Radio and Machine Workers of America, the UE, Local 1186, reached a tentative agreement on a new contract. Although Labor Radio is not privy to details of the tentative contract before it is presented to the local's entire membership this weekend, negotiating points included, among other issues, maintenance of current health care provisions, a reduction in probation time for new workers, and notably, demands for increases in wages that would allow workers a living wage in the increasingly expensive Madison area. On Tuesday, Woolly Street workers packed a room at the Labor Temple on South Park Street in a discussion meeting with the negotiating team. Labor Radio spoke to some workers and negotiators outside this session. David Roster, chief steward for 1186, and a worker in the grocery department at the co-op's Middleton location, and a member of the negotiating team, explained what he saw as the key issue. Well, I don't want to overuse a cliche, but it's living wage. Right? No one can live on what we're getting paid. We can't recruit or retain on what they're paying, and that's the bottom line. We took management's last counter previous to today as a, really as an insult. thought it was absurd. Give us something serious, you know, is what we thought. Kate Berry, a cashier and a new employee at the Woolley Street location, was taking a break from the meeting with her daughter Fiona and described her financial situation. You know, there have been small increases, but they're not keeping up with what is needed to live in Madison. I make 1380 as an entry-level clerk, which is the basis, kind of the entry-level position through all departments. So that is not a living wage in Madison. It's definitely not enough to be supporting a family. <laughs> Roster described on Tuesday how negotiations were looking up. I will say today, and all credit goes to our membership, that today is certainly a move in the right direction. Today, we rebuffed management's last proposal. It did not solve the problems, the problem of living wage that we see to be core to everything. And we said the membership wouldn't stand for that, and so the membership came out and forced to the bargaining room today in colors and demonstrated that we're not interested in taking that. Mike Tomaloff is president of Local 1186 and a worker at the co-op's off-site kitchen. Tomaloff was overall pleased with the negotiation process and credited worker solidarity for any gains that will be made. So this is the third week we've been negotiating. The first day of the third week, we started 
two weeks ago we did Tuesday, Wednesdays, and Thursdays. Big improvement from two years ago when we would do Wednesday nights once a week and that was it. We got through language uh, items pretty quickly. It was very reassuring to see such good work with the co-op and with the e-board and the union's been really behind us on that. But then last week we got into economics and we all knew that would be difficult and ran into some roadblocks. But because of our great labor solidarity here and a great turnout from our fellow workers and from the folks who shop at the co-op who care about the people who work there. That was Mike Tomaloff, president of UE Local 1186, the union of workers at Willie Street Co-op, speaking to Labor Radio on Tuesday. The union reached a tentative agreement with Willie Street management yesterday. The new contract, expected to be for two years, will be presented to the workers this weekend with a vote as early as Monday. For Labor Radio, I'm Greg Jaboski. This week, UW nurses held an informational picket. Labor Radio's Carol Weidel had this report from the rally. Yesterday afternoon, Thursday, UW hospital nurses and their supporters picketed across from the hospital emergency room entrance. The informational picket of nurses and community members rallied for safe staffing, quality care, and recognition of their union. Andrea Romer, a nurse at UW hospital, wants the picket to, quote, shine a light on the compassionate care and remind the hospital board and community of the hospital staffing conditions. We work extra hard to support our colleagues, unquote. Romer also had this to say about short staffing at the hospital affects everyone. When nurses work with short staffing conditions, we are forced to skip breaks and care suffers. That's care for our patients, their families, and the nurses who return for the next shift. What's next for the union? Romer said, we will continue actions until the hospital recognizes our union. Here are some voices from the rally. This nurse from another local hospital said solidarity is important. And, um, and why are you here today? We're supporting the nurses to make conditions better for the nurses and better for the patients and better for everybody in the long run. And uh, what we think is important of, uh, of, of labor solidarity and... Um... If we work together, we can accomplish more uh, because there's people, in, there's people in power that, well, really have too much power and they're, they're abusing it. So we need, to, we need to work together and stand together to equalize things out so that everybody can have it better. Harry, a UW blue-collar worker, came to show his support. We're here in solidarity with the nurses. The UW administration needs to voluntarily recognize the union for the nurses right now. The nurses do a vital job in the pandemic days and every day. And so we're here in solidarity with them in this freezing cold weather, and we want the administration to do the right thing. Thanks a lot. Luke is a community member and activist who explained his presence. I think it's really important both for community and the broader labor movement to come out and show support for this. Uh, one of the things I'm also, you know, out here just talking to nurses and seeing what their need is with uh, the stonewalling of the of the UW board, right? They're, uh, they're like they like to use the Republican, you know, instituted uh, Act 10 as an excuse not to recognize the union, which is just, you know. <clears throat> Unacceptable, but it's going to take, you know, real, real organizing both on the shop floor and also from the broader community to win this thing. According to data the nurses' union identified, UW Health can certainly afford to make urgent improvements to ensure safe staffing, recruitment and retention of nurses, and quality patient care. UW Health's profits rose 162% in one fiscal year to over $538 million for 2021. 
The corporation has more than $2.8 billion in cash on hand and received over $97 million in federal grants during the pandemic. Reporting for Labor Radio, with audio help from Greg Jabowski, this is Carol Weidel. Next, we'll hear about how members of the University of Wisconsin community are mobilizing in support of safer COVID-19 policy. An array of faculty, staff, undergraduate employees, and University of Wisconsin community members gathered over a Zoom call this Tuesday for mobilization around COVID safety and policy on campus. The meeting was organized in direct response to a university announcement that it would allow its indoor mask mandate to expire on March 11th which falls a day before the school's spring break. The expiration will take place 10 days after the rest of Dane County, which announced the end of required indoor masking effective at midnight on March 1st. Among the participants of the call were members of AFSME Local 2412, the TAA, UFAS, and AFSME Local 171. Attendees broke into separate working groups to discuss a slate of topics, including flexible remote work, proactive improvements to university infrastructure, accommodations for staff and other UW community members with young children, direct actions, and public messaging. Centered in the conversations were populations that were especially vulnerable or otherwise underserved by the university's current policies. Immunocompromised individuals offered recounting of their own experiences navigating employment with the university during the pandemic and how the expiration of the mask mandate would further impact their work. Quote, it's important to focus on the immediate issue of the mask mandate but we should connect our actions to the university's broader mishandling of the pandemic, one participant said. They added, quote, for me and I'm sure for others, there's just a lot of pent up anger. Broadly, attendees agreed that focusing on the short term implementable issue of a mask mandate extension would be most effective leading up to the planned expiration date. Future work for the mobilized organizations will be translating their message into a campaign of public awareness and direct action, which will take place over the coming weeks. Reporting for Labor Radio, I'm Sean Hagerup. During the pandemic, most theaters closed down for many months at a time. For a union of backstage workers, returning to work has been slow. For more about this union and what they do, here's WORT reporter Heron Splinter. Thank you. Have you ever thought about what happens in a theater after the main stage curtain pulls to a close? The stage seems to gobble all the scenery up, reduced to a blank slate and ready for its next show. But after the performers you just saw walk off stage, a skilled crew of stagehands is waiting to pounce. They are the unionized technicians ready to send that show onto the next city. The stagehands are part of one of the strongest unions in the country, which provides work from experts known as gaffers, electricians, stagehands, flymen, wardrobe, makeup, stage managers, riggers, and board operators. Altogether, 
They are the International Alliance of Theatrical Stage Employees. If you ever watch a movie to the very end of the credits, you will see the Union Insignia, a five-pointed badge that tells you the film was made with union workers. In Madison, there are not so many film productions, but lots of live theatrical events. Venues like the Overture Center for the Arts and the Sylvie will contract with the Madison branch of IATSE, Local 251. I spoke to IATSE's cheerful business agent, David Gersbach, also known as Junior, about what the union provides. So it's a, a qualified, certified, safe labor force that would be hard to be able to manage yourself. The skills needed to work backstage are as varied as they are specialized. One needs to work well in a team and also be able to work quickly and safely. Just one job, like hanging lights, takes time to learn. We don't have an apprentice program, but we've, we've tried to get some of that, that training inherent. It's on-the-job learning. So it's something where as you, as you work shows, you're, you're going to pick up a little bit more. You might work in different departments. So some people might only work in one department, like props, or, you know, or if you are a carpentry, you know, you're good with your hands and you like to build sets and things of that nature. But I think the best is when you can go to multiple departments. Many people working with IATSE are not full members. One must work many hours as an extra before eligible to apply to join. This means there are lots of total workers. Our call list is about uh, close to 1,000 people within our existing call sheets. That's just in Madison. Justina Vickerman is the union's call steward in charge of assigning people to work. Uh, technically, the calls are assigned by uh, its uh, skill. Whether Can you do the, well, availability. Are you actually available to do the call? Skill, do you have the skills to do the job? And then it's actually service to the industry and you know and so there is a, an aspect of how long partially how long a person has been in it or you know or how long they have also been a member during the pandemic all parts of theatrical work have changed the union now provides covid compliance positions to keep shows safe here at home and as they travel across the country they feel a high sense of responsibility again dave gershbach when uh, performance is coming from out of state and they're traveling around, we, we don't want to be able to, you know, we don't want to infect those shows and we don't want to shut down that, that venue or that production. We want to continue that work to go so that we can continue to work. So we're going to try to be as accommodating as possible so that, that, you know, so that people will come to those venues and we can continue to put on those performances and enjoy the arts that we always have. Last Sunday, I saw the union load out Madison Opera's production of She Loves Me. Stagehands were crisscrossing the stage in a dance of practicality and get-her-done attitude. Everyone seemed to know each other. When I asked about diversity in the workplace, David told me that diversity is valued and that Local 251 welcomes people with open arms. If you are interested in working backstage, visit IATSE. 251.com to learn more. For WORT, I'm Heron Splinter. Labor Radio reporter Keith Steffen shares news of an upcoming UAW rally in Oshkosh in support of union labor. 
Tomorrow, on Saturday, February 26th, United Auto Workers Local 578 is hosting a rally to call for the next generation of United States Postal Service delivery vehicles to be built in a union facility in Oshkosh instead of at a non-union South Carolina factory. An estimated 1,000 jobs are at stake. The rally is from noon to 2 p.m. at 1917 Four-Wheel Drive in Oshkosh. There are two parking locations where you can catch a shuttle to the rally. Parking Area 1 is at a tavern called The Bar at 825 North Washburn Street, Oshkosh. And Parking Area 2 is at the Rogan's Shoes parking lot at 2145 South Kaler Street in Oshkosh. For more information, go to the UAW Local 578 website or Facebook page. If you can't attend the rally, you can show your support by signing Local 578's petition that is posted on their website. The Something to Do Music Series is a group of free online concerts featuring one-hour sets from local acoustic musicians. Bands play at Still Goods on Willie Street, and through the miracle of 21st century technology, the show is broadcast on the World Wide Web for your safe home listening pleasure. This month's show is on Friday, February 25th at 8 p.m. and features Strings to Rome, who are a five-piece bluegrass band playing originals and covers. The live stream can be found by going to the Something to Do event page at facebook.com slash stillgoodslive. The February Something to Do live stream of Strings to Rome is on Friday, February 25th at 8 p.m. and is free. Waiting away from the mainstream for over 45 years, this is WORT 89.9 FM Madison and WORTFM.org. Workers at Starbucks coffee locations across the country are demanding union recognition, including in Wisconsin. Labor Radio reports on an action last Saturday. On Monday, the Wisconsin AFL-CIO announced that workers at the McDillon Crossroads Starbucks location in Plover, Wisconsin, have called for union recognition from Starbucks CEO Kevin Johnson and local management. A majority of workers at the Plover store have signed union authorization cards with Starbucks Workers United. The Plover Drive joins a previous request for union recognition at the Oak Creek Starbucks, just south of Milwaukee. On Saturday, a crowd of over 50 workers, labor leaders, and community supporters gathered in the Wisconsin February cold in front of the Oak Creek Starbucks for a solidarity action. Carlos Ginar, assistant manager at Workers United in Chicago, explains why people were there. Today, we're here to welcome Starbucks Workers United to Wisconsin. We're really excited that here this store is the first store in Wisconsin to file for election. And so we're here to show our solidarity 
And we're also here to let Starbucks know that all of these people in the community and in the labor community stand behind these workers. Genard explains what will come next. 85% of the workers at this store have signed cards. So it's a pretty astounding, we want a union. So right now, we filed for election. We are expecting Starbucks to go ahead and fight whatever we are trying to do, like they've done in all the other hundred stores where we have filed for election. You know, we want people to know that these folks, these partners, we want them to know that we stand behind them. Sydney LeBaron Fall has been working at the Oak Creek Starbucks for almost a year and is one of the organizers of the union and addressed the crowd. We deserve our well-being and health to be of the utmost importance, but that doesn't seem to be the case right now. The Starbucks Workers United movement is picking up speed and spreading across America because we are getting tired of our relationship with corporate being only one way. As essential workers, we want to feel safe coming to work. We want consistent hours and job security. We want to be compensated for all the work that we do for Starbucks. That's right. And ultimately, we just want to be heard. We hope that by standing here together and joining our voices, we can make Starbucks feel loud and clear that they need to sign the fair election principles and recognize our union. Hannah Fulgerty, an Oak Creek Starbucks worker, tells why a union is necessary. We're here today because we're standing up for what we deserve. What we're looking for is our safety, both physical and financial. Physical being improved COVID policies, improved sick pay, and financial along with sick pay, just being paid a livable wage. You know, none of us make enough to build a savings account. We can't afford any accidents. <laughs> Jacob Flom, chair of the Young Workers Committee at the Milwaukee Area Labor Council and vice president of Ask Me Local 526, the Milwaukee Public Museum employees, describes the significance of this organizing drive. The last few years, we've seen a big upsurge in young workers organizing, and that's something that the Young Workers Committee of the Labor Council has been really actively trying to promote, reaching out to young workers and the service industry and other industries, and coffee's been a big one in Milwaukee that we've been involved with. The attempt to organize Stone Creek coffee workers, likewise coffee successfully organized, Colectivo organized, so we're really thrilled to see the Starbucks workers organizing all across the country. This wave is just kicking off, and this big upsurge is bringing new life to labor movement that we really need him. Joe Stubbs is a worker and organizer at Collectivo Coffee, a chain with shops in Chicago, Milwaukee, and Madison that recently organized with the IBEW. Stubbs explained why he was there for Starbucks workers on a cold Saturday morning. Well, I used to work at Starbucks before I worked at Collectivo, so this is a cause near and dear to my heart. Corporations like Starbucks honestly get away with murder. They have this weird, undeserved reputation for being progressive and offering these great benefits when in reality they are low-paying employers much like other fast food chains. The labor movement functions on solidarity. None of this works unless we all support each other. The strength of the working class is in unity and solidarity. We need workers, not only workers throughout industries, but workers from all different industries to unite together to support each other. That was Joe Stubbs, a Colectivo coffee worker and member of IBUW, in solidarity with the Starbucks Coffee National Organizing Drive. The worker organizers at Starbucks stores across Wisconsin are expecting that the actions in Oak Creek and now Plover will spark organizing throughout the state. For Labor Radio, I'm Greg Jaboski. Also related to attempts to organize the Starbucks locations here in the state and across the country, the National Labor Relations Board this week issued a decision that Starbucks 
can be organized on a store-by-store basis instead of all of the geographically located similar nearby stores having to to form their own uh, collective collectively vote on unions. This is a blow to the strategy of the company, Starbucks, and the unions have lauded it. And now here's Kara Weidel with this week's COVID report. Cases decreased during this 14-day period ending Sunday, February 20th, with an average of 215 cases per day. The number of people hospitalized with COVID in Dane County hospitals also decreased with an average of 87 people hospitalized each day. There has also been a decrease in deaths over the past month. Percent positivity during this 14-day period was 7.3%. In January, a person not fully vaccinated in Dane County was four times more likely to test positive for COVID than a person fully vaccinated with a booster or additional dose. A person vaccinated with only the primary series was three times more likely to test positive for COVID. In January 2022, 62% of Dane County residents age five and older are up to date on their COVID vaccines, while 21% are fully vaccinated but not up to date. Over the past four weeks, cases decreased among all age groups. Children below four years of age currently have the highest case rate at 67 per 100,000 per day and the highest percent positivity at 10.7%. Now that the Dane County mask order is ending on March 1st, some people who are concerned about masks not being required are asking what they should be doing. Here are some tips for people who are looking for guidance after the masking order ends. Remember that masks are still required in some facilities. Federal requirements state that masks should be worn on public transportation, on buses, in airports, in taxis, Ubers, and Lyfts. Most, if not all, hospitals and clinics require face coverings in their spaces. Other facilities may also require masks. For example, businesses can decide their own mask policy and can require masks in their spaces. Schools may also require masks and consult with their own medical advisors to make those decisions. Make sure to check the requirements before you go and look for signage at entrances. Even if others are not wearing a mask, you can protect yourself by wearing a high-quality mask like an N95. Public Health Madison in Dane County has vaccine appointments for people age 5 and older at East Washington and South Madison offices. Public Health recommends making appointments at our South Madison and East Washington clinics. These sites accept walk-ins, but availability is not guaranteed. If you need help booking an appointment, please call 608 242 6328. Free rides are available to Public Health Madison and Dane County offices for vaccination appointments. However, this is not an on-demand service. Please call to schedule a ride at 608-243-0420. People under age 18 must have a parent or guardian with them when they arrive to get vaccinated, or if this is not possible, they must be reachable by phone. If you have a COVID-19 vaccine card, please bring it to your vaccination appointment so that they can add additional booster dose information. Sources of information for today's story are the Centers for Disease Control and Public Health Madison in Dane County. Reporting for Labor Radio, this is Carol Weidel. Breaking rocks out here on the chain gang. Breaking rocks and serving my time. Breaking rocks out here on the chain gang. Cause the done convicted me a crime. 
Thanks for listening to Madison Labor Radio. I'm Mike Bernhard. Thanks to editors Frank Amspach and Ellen LaLuzerne, assistant Robin G., reporters Greg Gabowski, Sean Hagerup, Anna Hom, Scott McCullough, Janine Ramsey, Tony Reeves, Carol Weidel, and damage control specialist Joanne Powers. Thank you as well to website editor J.J. Meyer. Special thanks to Cle- to Keith Steffen, our reader coordinator, and to all our readers and the members of IBEW Local 2304 WORT Staff Collective. And I'm Gigi Todd, and we also would like to thank all of our generous contributors to Labor Radio and WORT. Please stay tuned for the Blues Cruise with David Watts. Five years of labor, I heard my own.